morning again. And um, when you, um, if, if you've not heard Luis Miguel's story, uh, it is an amazing story of redemption and transformation. Uh, Pastor Miguel actually preached here once before, and um, we had someone translate, and uh, amazing, amazing message of God's transformation uh, in his life. And God is using him in amazing ways in, uh, in Colombia and literally all over uh, Latin America. He's presently writing his story. He's presently writing a book about his life. Um, as an orphan, no one wanted him. God found him, and uh, the rest is kind of um, historical, literally historical in terms of how God has worked in, uh, worked in his life. So uh, we're super, super grateful for the partnership that we have with them and what God is doing uh, in, in Colombia. So, one, you know, we, we talked about last week um, it, it closing uh, the series on community that one way we draw near to God is through obviously singing, which we've done. Um, another way we draw near to God is gathering around the Word of God as we think through, talk about, let the Word of God begin to shape and transform our thinking. And so that's, that's what this time is geared for, where we open the scriptures and we want to hear what God has to say to us so we might follow Jesus a little bit more closely. So we've been going through a series of messages called Do One Thing, and we have focused on a number of things that hopefully help us move, um, at least take our next step in following Jesus as uh, disciples. We've gone through identity We've talked about Bible engagement, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about mission, we've talked about community, and this month we're going to talk about um, this big word, um, stewardship. And again, so let me ask, when you hear the word stewardship, and I want you to ask, I want you to actually respond, when you hear the word stewardship, what comes to mind? Just, just, just give it to me. Taking care of, that's right. What else? Helping, yep. Serving. Responsibility. Any others? Budgeting, okay. What's that? Okay, tithe or time. So, so, so we, when we think about this word, um, we, we have all kinds of thoughts about it. What I want to do today, uh, we, we don't need another sermon, and I'm not up here because I have to be, I'm up here because I, I want to help begin to shift our mindset around what it means to be stewards of God's, uh, of God's resources, of God's, um, all of what God has given us. And so this idea of stewardship is more than money. It's more than what, we, uh, what we've been uh, kind of trained to think. So one of the things that I want to do is try to lift us in terms of our thinking regarding stewardship. I love the, um, the Swiss watchmaker, uh, Patek Philippe. It's a very, very expensive luxury watch, uh, one that I could never afford in two or three lifetimes. And, um, but it almost sounds like um, it com- this, this slogan comes from the mouth of God. Almost from the mouth of God. This is what it says. They're, they're known for their luxury watches, but they're known for their 
creative slogans as well. This is, what's one, this is one, of, one of their advertising slogans. You'll never actually own a Patek Philippe. You merely take care of it for the next generation. You'll never own a Patek Philippe. You only take care of it for the next generation. I think that's, it sounds like that's what comes from the mouth of God. You'll never own uh, what you have. You'll just, I've just charged you to take care of it for the next generation. So there's this sense where I want to highlight some of the concepts of stewardship from Genesis chapter 2. I want to give some insights on how we should think about stewardship, how we should begin to wrap our minds, how we should begin to shift our mindset around this idea of stewardship. And I, I almost guarantee you that it will be different than what you think. It is, it is different than what you and I have in mind. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. You really can't get lost. It's like right chapter one, chapter two. It's on, if you're looking on the Bible that the church provides, it's on page two. Okay, page two. If you have a, your, your uh, devices, your phone or your tablet, page two. And I wanna, I wanna really just highlight some phrases and ideas from chapter two, all right? So, so before we get to chapter two, um, the, the record of the, the, the Bible creation begins in Genesis one. It begins with this profound declaration, and this profound declaration is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a profound, profound declaration. And just by those words, we recognize right away that God is creator, but by implication, God is owner. So that's right out of the chute. This is, a, this is the very foundational principle to any kind of talk on stewardship, any kind of talk on responsibility, any kind of talk on you and I being managers. That's what a steward is, a manager of someone else's um, goods or, um, or pro- uh, property. That's the idea. So right away, very, from the very beginning, in, the, uh, in chapter one, from the very beginning, we see that God is creator, but that God is owner. Another passage, uh, David double clicks on this in Psalm 24 and one, it's not gonna be on the screen, but it says the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Right away, we are met face to face with the fact that God is the owner of everything that we have. He's the owner of creation. He created this world in which we live. It's a profound, profound declaration. And I think I need to be reminded of that daily because some days I act like a proprietor. Some days I act like an owner. And I'm sure if you're anything like me, you probably do as well. And yet, without even recognizing that all that I have and all that I enjoy in God's good creation comes from the very hand of God. And so we see right away that God is owner. But we jump to chapter two and we see a different picture of creation. The first, uh, the first chapter gives us kind of a majestic picture of creation. 
the chapter two extends creation, but it is a more it is a more relational connection with creation. Listen to chapter two, verses one through six. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, not from weariness. That's just he's built into the world rest and um, rest and work. Uh, on, the seventh, uh, on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because of it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field uh, was yet in, in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so one right away we see that God is creator and he is owner, but we also see something else And I want you to look at verse number four, where it says, um, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, and they were created in the day, in that day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So the word Lord, the phrase Lord God is a very important word or phrase in a title for God in Genesis. It represents this idea that God is not just an aloof creator, He is not an aloof and a distant um, uh, owner, but he is intimately involved with his creation. The word, the phrase Lord God is the covenant name of God, how, how um, how he related to his people and how he related to creation. So what we see from the very beginning that God, yes, is creator and by implication that God is owner of everything that he's created, but he is not an aloof God. He is not an aloof or distant creator and an owner. He is one that comes near to his creation. He is one that comes near to his people, that God is this this, this amazing, intimate father who loves his creation, who loves us. So so there's this sense where we think that God created the world and he went off someplace and he is a distant God. But Genesis from the very beginning, when we start talking about stewardship, that God is this intimate, uh, relational, covenant-keeping God that comes near. He is owner, he is creator, and he loves us. So there's this sense where from the very beginning, he is intimately involved in his creation. But I want to draw your attention to verse 5 that helps us to see some, something else about this concept of stewardship. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So this idea that no bush, there's no uh, brush or bush in the land until God caused it. So the principle of stewardship here in this verse is that God is the source and sustainer of everything. 
So the idea here is until God caused it to rain, there were no bushes, there were no vegetations. So there's this concept that, that, that right out of the gate, we say that not only is God creator and owner, but that God is the source of all that we have. And I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that, is that, that you and I did not pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that God is the source of your job, that God is the source of your breath, that God is the source of your car. Yes, I know you make payments, but the concept of changing our mindset about stewardship is that until God causes it to happen, it won't happen. And this is what we have here from this very outset that, that the writer is trying to help us see that not only is God creator and owner, he is an intimate owner, but even beyond that, he is the source and sustainer of everything that we have. That's a mindset shift for us. He said, yes, I have a car. And yes, I have a house. And yes, I have a job. And yes, I have influence and I have relationships. But, but I, I have to wrap my mind around this concept that he is the one that has provided that. And that, and, and that just doesn't work well in, in, in our Western world. That, that doesn't work well in where we live. We are an exceptional country pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We make it happen. But for the believer in Jesus, the one who recognizes as, recognize that God is king, it begins with this concept that, that God is owner, sustainer, everything. I know that, that is so foundational to this concept of stewardship. All right, so here's, um, here's another uh, concept that, that shows up. Well, before we do that, so let me, let me ask the question. Recognizing that God as owner, recognizing that God, recognizing God as creator, owner, he is the one that causes, he's the one that sustains, he is the source of life. Tell me in your, in your mind, what are the implications of that? I want you to answer me back. I want us to have a conversation. What are the implications that God is creator, owner, source, and sustainer. What are the implications of that? I'm sorry? Okay, living a life of integrity. What else? What else, what else do you think? What are the implications of all of that? Uh, if, if we say all of that is true about God, what are the implications for us? What's that? Gratitude. Gratitude, that, 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 that everything we have comes from God. And so there's a sense of it wells up inside of us, this gratitude. I, I was... I was um, uh, yesterday for the last, last two, two days or so, I suppose, the sun has been out. Like, like go figure. I thought, I thought the sun had died and we were had, somebody had a funeral and it just didn't show up. Like, like literally, there was this sense where like, like, like out of the gloom comes the sun and I could not help but say, Thank you, God. Now, I'm, I'm grateful for the sun. The, the gloom helps me to appreciate the sun. And so there's this sense where God gave us a gift over the last couple of days, and there was a recognition. Because I'm a big complainer when it gets cold and it's gloomy. It's, it's like, like, like do, we, do we have to do this again? And when the sun comes out, it's like, God, thank you for that. There's an appreciation that comes out of that. 
So we recognize that God owns it all. That God owns, he causes it to happen. And for me, I have to be reminded of that. And I don't know about you, I, I know you probably have to be reminded of that as well. But then, then there's, this, there's, this, um, there's this second concept, which, which is um, the, the whole life piece, the breath of life. Verse 7, verse seven it says, um, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Now, the very interesting thing about this, the writer is trying to help us to understand. He's not trying to explain material formation, that God bent down and he scooped dust. There are other places where we see that. But what God, is trying, what, what God is trying to give us or the writer is trying to give us in Genesis is that we are mortal. The dust represents our mortality. Is that the writer is trying to get us to understand that, that we, carry, we carry in our bodies this mortality. We carry actually, too, this very, this very interesting paradox. We, have, we are finite beings, and yet we have the breath of the infinite God inside of us. And there's this sense where, where we, when we look at our lives, and we don't, nobody has to tell us, we intuitively know that we have an expiration date. Everybody in this room, you know that. Like, like when, you, you know, when you were 20, you thought you could, you could do it all. And now that you're 40 or 50, you bend down and you can't get back up. You know that you're mortal. I got like three or four witnesses in the house, right? Like you know that. We don't, we don't know, nobody has to tell us that we're mortal. But I think we need to be reminded of that because we think that we are, we're going to live forever physically. And so we frivolously handle our lives. We frivolously handle our physical lives. And there's this sense where the writer wants us to know that when we were created out of dust, God created us to be mortal. But, but, but even beyond that, he breathed in us the breath of life. He wants us to understand, yes, we're mortal, but we are eternal. That's the reason it's important that you and I look and we, uh, you and I have this concept that you, we were created for eternity. We're not just created for this physical life, but we're created for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3 says that eternity has been placed in everyone's heart. This is the reason why it's so important for you and I to tap into that eternity to say, God, what do you, what, what do you want from me? God, how, how have you shaped me and wired me? And so within us, there is this, relate, this relatedness to God. So when I think about my mortality, there are implications to that. So let me ask, when you think about your mortality, that you were created from, you're created from dust or created with this sense of mortality, what are the implications of that? I want you to talk back to me. What are the implications of our mortality? Don't take anything for granted. Humility. Humility. Urgency. Yeah, temporary. So the sense, the, sense of, the sense of urgency and humility is that you and I are dependent creatures. 
So we talk about stewardship. We're talking about this sense of we are dependent creatures. We are not independent creatures. We are not independent individuals. We are dependent on God for everything that we have. We're interdependent on one another. And so when, not, when you and I recognize that we are mortal beings, there's this sense where I, I, I handle everything that I am with this sense of I did not pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I am humble before the almighty God who created it all. You and I should handle our bodies with humility. We should handle our minds with humility. We should handle all that we have with humility. So again, it begins with this idea of ownership. It continues with this idea of humility. But I I think there's there's um, there's another point that I think is super, super significant, and that's found in verses 8 through 15. I'm just going to give you verse 8 of chapter 2. It says uh, in verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then he goes from there. So, So the garden of Eden um, we believe it's an actual garden, but it's more than utopia. It's more than perfect paradise. What the writer wants us to understand, which is this is the heart, kind of the heart of chapter two and our, in terms of stewardship, is that, that the garden represented a sacred space. It represented a sacred space. And then verse 15, if you jump down to verse 15 of chapter two, It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. So if the garden is considered a sacred space, there is responsibility that the man had, which is to work it and keep it. So on the the surface, you look at it and say, well, like, is this a lesson in gardening? This is not a lesson in gardening. So what does it mean to work it and keep it? What does it mean to work it and keep it? I want you to turn over. I want you to keep your finger here, but I want you to turn over to the book of Numbers. Turn over to the book of Numbers, chapter 3. The book of Numbers, chapter 3. And I want you to look at uh, verses 7 and 8. Chapter 3 through 8 of Numbers is all about um, the duties of the priests. So look at verse 7 and 8. Now this is a command to the priest. They shall keep guard over, over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting. And they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. Same words found in in Numbers chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, are the same words that are found back in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to turn over to chapter 18. Chapter 18 of Numbers. Chapter 18 of Numbers. And I want you to look at verse number 7. And you and your sons uh, with you shall guard your priesthood 
for all the concern, uh, for all that concerns the altar, and that is within the veil, and you shall serve. I give you priesthood as a gift. Any, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Now, what, let me try to explain this here. So Aaron had a brother, or Moses had a brother named Aaron. And God made Aaron a priest. And so everyone who would come after Aaron from the line of Aaron would be priests. So one of the duties of a priest was to guard and keep, to work and keep watch over the temple and the tabernacle. So you take both of these words together back in Genesis chapter 2. Right away, we begin to see from the writer, the writer is calling God's people, God is calling humanity his priests. You are a priest. I am a priest. Over all that God has given us, you are a priest. Wait a minute, Marvin, I'm, I'm not holy. You, no, God is saying in this moment, in, in, this, in this text, that you and I are priests over which we are to guard and we are to keep. And we are, here it is, priests represented God to the people. And so when they took care of the tabernacle, when they took care of the temple, they were actually representing God to the people. So what does this have to do with stewardship? So when you and I care for our own gardens, like Adam cared for the Garden of Eden, when you and I care for our homes, when you and I care for our jobs, when you and I care for our relationships and our influence, you and I are are being priests of God and the way we represent the way we take care of all that God has given us is a representation to the world how God is this is more than just taking care of stuff this is really taking care of the presence of God in the world and presenting the presence of God to the world in the way we handle all that God has given us Every day you and I wake up and we go to a job and we do a job well, we are actually saying this is the way I'm representing God to the world. Another thing that the priest had a responsibility to do is to keep the intruders out of the tabernacle. And so every time you and I do a hard job, we do a good job, we are actually keeping out the intruder of laziness. Every time you and I cultivate our marriage as a husband and a wife, you and I are representing God to the world and we're keeping out, we're keeping out the intruder of affairs and we're keeping out the intruder of indifference. We're keeping out the intruder of, of this sense where I, I, you do what you do and I do what I do. There's this sense where you and I are priests representing God as we take care of the things that he's given us. If you're a single person, if you're a single person, you represent God the way you care for your singleness and you care for your singleness in such a way it represents that to the world. And people see that there's something different about you. So when, when we see this, we are, there's this sense where God is saying to Adam, you are more than a you are more than a gardener. You're more than a caretaker. You are a priest. And when you go to work, 
And when you do your marriage, and when you do your singleness, and when you do your influence, and when you play ball, when you play basketball or football, you are representing me as my priest before a watching world. So there's this, 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 this beauty of the garden. It's a holy, sacred responsibility. Our marriage is a holy garden. Our singleness is a holy garden. Our cars are holy gardens. Our, our, our influence is a holy garden. Your ability as an athlete is a holy garden. And God says, when you, I want you to use it, and I want you to take care of it, and I want you to represent me in everything that you do. We are priests revealing and representing God to the world. But then there's, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, there's something else that uh, surfaces, and that is in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You must surely, uh, you may surely eat of every garden, uh, every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat, you will surely die. So one of the stewardship principles that Uh, that surfaces here as priests, as priests of God, we get to make decisions every day. So we are stewards of our choices. We are stewards of our choices, whether we will be a responsible priest or an irresponsible priest. So God says, hey, I'm giving you choices, a choice to either do as I've commanded, or a choice to actually go a different way. And so every day we wake up, we go to our jobs, we have a choice to make, whether we will be a responsible priest, representing God on our jobs. Every day we wake up, we have a decision to make whether we're going to be, whether a responsible or a responsible priest uh, as a husband or a wife, or as a single person, or as an influencer, whatever it is. There's this sense where this, this takes it out of this realm of I'm just taking care of stuff. It's truly, I'm representing God. So this last, this last idea, this last concept that shows up, and that's found in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 18. And I won't go through the entire verse, but just the, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of represent it with the first verse. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that God made for Adam and Azer a support. So this other principle for stewardship is that stewardship is um, is a team sport. It's not a lone wolf kind of thing. God gave Adam and Azer, gave Adam a support just like Again, we talked about it being in the immediate context of a wife to a husband, but God has given us each other as azers to support so that when I am being an irresponsible priest, you can actually come and tuck, uh, pull my coattail and say, hey, what about this? Or when I, I, I have to admit that this is where I've been an irresponsible priest. I need your help. As a father, I wish I was a better father. I wish I was a better husband. I wish I was a better influence. I wish I was a better this or that. And part of our responsibility to one another 
is to actually help us to be better priests, better at what, better at representing God to the world. So let's rehearse. God is creator and owner. Our response is gratitude. God is the giver of life. Though we are mortal, we have the spark of eternity in us. Our response is really humility. I'm dependent on God. God has placed us in a garden. Wherever your garden is, he placed Adam in a literal garden, a sacred place. And where you and I live and where you and I work and where you and I play, we should view them as sacred spaces. And God has given us responsibility to keep it, to work it and keep it. It is part of our worship to God. It is a part of our representation of God to the world so that other people might relate to God by how we actually show up and represent God in those spaces. And then we have, choice. we have choices to make. Whether we will be responsible priests or irresponsible priests every day. And because I have a tendency to be irresponsible, I need you. You need me. So that we might be good priests of all that God has given us together. Whether it's our money, whether it's our, whether it's our homes, or whether it's whatever it might be. This is way, way different than just take care of stuff. You're a priest. I'm a priest. Called to represent God in the world with the way we care for the things that he's blessed us with. From our influence to all the physical things that he's given us. We view it that way. And we view it as those are the foundational principles it raises the ante on how we approach everyday life. So what I want you to do tomorrow, starting tomorrow or this week, I want you to view yourself as a priest. Going into the tabernacle of your job. Marvin, you don't understand. My work job, my, my place of work is unholy. <laughs> Guess what? When you show up, you represent God to an unholy world. That is your stewardship. Well, you don't understand. My wife and my husband, they said this about me, and I'm thinking about, like, I'm, getting, I'm thinking about getting divorced, divorced and you don't understand. I, 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 well, you, man, you're a priest. And the way you represent Jesus, the way you represent God to your spouse could be the very thing that wins him or her to Jesus. Well, it's my money. I get, to, I get to do whatever I want to with my money. I worked hard all week long. I get to do whatever I want to do with my money. Not a priest of God. A priest of God says, this is God's money. And before I buy the 65-inch TV for the Super Bowl... For those, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Before I buy that, and again, I'm not, I'm not, please hear me, I'm not knocking individuals with that. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But I'm saying, a priest would say, I wonder what God would think about that. 
Or I'm influential. I, I have influence on my basketball team. I have influence on my baseball team. I have influence on my football team. And God says, yeah, yeah, like you do. But as a priest, I want you to think differently about your influence. I want you to think about ways in which you can invite your teammates to come to know Jesus in a, in a way. So anyway, we're priests. We're priests. We have a holy responsibility. We have a sacred responsibility um, in all that we do. It's more than just, oh, I'm responsible for this. It's more than that. It's, I'm actually representing God before a whole host of people how I carry out. Your intellect is part of your garden and how God has wired you to carry out your duties and your responsibilities as a priest. All right, so if you have, if you have um, uh, a need or someone to pray with, or you want someone to pray with you, I'm gonna ask our uh, prayer team members uh, and elders and deacons to come forward now. If you want someone to pray, you say, man, I, I just, like, I'm really struggling right now. Uh, they will be down front to love on you, to pray with you, uh, to pray over your life, to pray over your situation and circumstance. Uh, you, you can stand. Let's, let's have a, a closing prayer. I want to remind you of this, what BT mentioned, uh, this serving, serving Expo is coming at the end of the month. Uh, and I want you to take this and look at ways in which you can serve the body of Jesus inside and outside. Uh, there, there's so much good stuff in here. You can figure out uh, what resonates, what pops with you as, you as you look at this. So let me, um, let me pray for us, and then we'll be, we'll be dismissed. So Father, thank you for creating the world. Thank you for uh, being owner and calling us to be managers. Thank you for uh, not just being uh, creator and owner, but you are, in fact, a loving, intimate owner and creator, for which we're very grateful. Thank you for the very breath that we have in our lungs right now, the ability to sing and the ability to talk, the ability to, all of us to rationalize, all of that comes from you. And thank you for placing us in our own gardens, our own sacred spaces of job and home and neighborhood and influence and friendships and relationships. Those are our gardens Forgive us for when we've been irresponsible priests over our garden. Forgive us for when we allowed intruders to come in and soil our gardens. And we ask now that we would be the priests that you desire us to be. God, we pray your blessing over our choices tomorrow and our choices this week. We want to make choices that, that, uh, that warrant us, to, that make us good priests, responsible priests, not irresponsible ones. God, we, we, we admit that we get tired sometimes and we need other people to help us be good priests over all you've blessed us with. So we pray your blessing over your people, over this group of priests as they go back out into the world, as they go back out into their neighborhoods, out into their jobs. I pray you would empower them to be holy and sanctified in unholy and unsanctified places. Bless them, empower them, keep them, cause your face to shine upon them and give them your peace. Turn your face toward them and bless them, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week. Talk to you later.